Socialites, welcome back to the Social Studies Podcast. Podcast for your study of being social by being social. Why I decided to sing that, I have absolutely no idea. The next guest that I have on today didn't know that she's a singer. Went and saw her live here in Seattle. There's a little bit in there where she does a little with her vocals. And I was like, girl, when are you going to be on The Masked Singer? Welcome <laughs> to the Social Studies Podcast, Angela Johnson. <laughs> Honestly, you do need to be on the mass singer. You you got some pipes. You know this, right? That's funny. Thank you. I listen, I love to sing in the shower. I love to sing in the bathrooms. Like when they got that good acoustic. I'm the one that's in a public bathroom, like singing. Like I don't care who's listening because I'm like, y'all, I gotta take advantage of these acoustics in here. Are you trained or do you just enjoy it and you happen to be good at it? Yeah, I just enjoy it. I just have fun. I did choir when I was in like seventh, sixth, seventh grade. But other than that, no. Like Honestly, I, I think you're lying behind those teeth. I think that there was aspirations to be a singer at one point. Listen, I don't know. My sister sings. My mom has. Good, oh, my God. My brother, Kenny. What's funny. I just realized I was saying this right now. When I do interviews and stuff, people ask me, like, when did you know you were funny? Which I'm sure you get that all the time, too. Like yeah. in any kind of radio interview that you do. When did you know you were funny? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, my whole family is funny. But I'm not the funniest one in my my family. My brother, Kenny, is the funniest one in my family. Like, he's so quick. He's so funny. And as you were just asking me about singing, I was about to say my brother, Kenny, is probably the best singer in the family. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is Kenny the best of all of the things in our family? Like, how rich? Dude, he is, wins everything. Is Kenny the best at all the things that I'm making money for now? What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so perfect segue. I was listening to a podcast with you on it recently, too, and you were talking about when you were a Raiders girl. And I love the journey of you auditioning to do that because you were like, you were like, I'm, I can't do this, but I'm going to get it. So what did, what would happen there? So I'm not a trained dancer. I'm not a trained, a lot of things. Um, (laughs) I am a cheerleader. I have rhythm. I can dance. I know how to pick up choreography, but as far as technique, point your toes, pirouette, spot when you turn, like all those kind of things, I didn't know that stuff. And Raiderettes is not really cheerleading. It's more dance and like pretty and that kind of thing. When I went to the auditions, I made it to the second round, which is when you learn the dance. And there's about, it was 700. Then it went down to 300. And the choreographer is on the stage teaching all 300 of us this routine. She has like her Britney Spears microphone on. And it's like in a a banquet room at a hotel. And so we're all learning this stuff and everybody's like full on trained, doing all their things. And I was just like, I don't know how to do those things, but I can just work my hair (laughs) and I'm just going to give some attitude and yes, and do the things and face and like all of that stuff. And so I'm learning the routine and the choreographer stops what she's doing. She gets off the stage and weaves her way through the crowd and she comes up to me and she was like clearly you have no dance training (laughs) but you have something that cannot be taught and when she said that to me that was the most powerful (laughs) backhanded compliment I've ever received and honestly it still gives me chills today because I get what she's saying she was saying there's something in me 
that you just have it, the it factor, like you just have it. Like you can't teach girls how to do what you're doing. Clearly you don't know about pointing your toes and you don't know about spotting where you turn. You got horrible balance. I don't even know if you have an equilibrium. I don't know what's happening right now, but you got something on the inside girl and I see it. (laughs) Okay. Wait, hold on. When she did this, first of all, please, I need this filmed. I need this as a sketch. Like I need to see it. Did she come up to you and was it like a point of confidence where like we're talking to each other and like other people aren't going to hear this? Or was this a, we're going to tell these hoes right now. (laughs) This is what I want you to do. Which one was it? You know, I feel like it was to me. I don't remember if the microphone was still on and it was like that, the feedback noise where she's clearly you have no dance. Training, training, training. But. (laughs) Oh, God, that's so good. That's so good. I think it, too, it shows like you need to have a little bit of like delusion to be successful, especially in our industry, too. And I tell like younger, I mean, like I'm a younger comic, but like even younger comics will be like, what do I do? What's the advice? I was like, you believe that you're a star. You believe that you are famous and other people will just think that you are like, sell it. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that advice. I think that's great advice. I remember reading Kevin Hart's book, his first one. And he was talking about, he was headlining some comedy club. It was when he was just getting started and He didn't need security, but he knew the optics Mm -hmm. of what that looked like. And we were just talking off air about the importance of optics in this industry. And he was saying how after his club, excuse me, after his show at the club, he went to an after party at the nightclub and he walks in with his full entourage and his security. And he's like, I wasn't at a place in my career where I needed the security, but I knew it. It said something. It set me apart. It People all of a sudden looked at me differently because they were like, whoa, he has security. He has this whole team around him. Like they automatically see you as something that you aren't yet. So I think that's great advice that you're giving to these up and coming comedians. See yourself as something that you aren't yet. There's actually a verse in the Bible that's speak things that aren't as though they are. And it's talking about speak those things into existence, into your life, which we can call manifesting today. We speak it into existence. Speak it into the world. I had a young comic say to me the other day, there was like this other comic who like got into a festival. He wasn't jealous, but he was just like bummed. And he was like, do I just need to be like putting in for these things more? As did you not hear Michael Jordan when he had told all of us that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take? Yeah. So I always knew you were a really religious person too and a spiritual person. And I, first of all, was a little bit, when we met, I was like, is she going to like me? Because like I'm gay because I have this thing. And I heard you tell a story too where you were talking about how you have such a religious upbringing and like the church and people were telling you things and you actually stopped and were like, wait, Like, I know all these gay people and they're really cool people and I love them. Like, how can I? First of all, that means a lot to hear you like publicly say that, because I think that a lot of other gay people think that like everybody hates them. And I think it's cool that you're visible about that. When can you talk to me more about like your journey with that sort of switch of like how you came to be in that mindset? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it has been a journey because growing up, I started going to church, we'll say like youth group age. We went to like children's church youth group age. So I wasn't raised from like birth in church, but like teenage years is when I really started getting into it. And that's what we're taught. And so I, that's what I grew up believing. And then as I grow and evolve as a human, as a woman, I grow and evolve in my faith. And I've gone through my deconstruction of my faith and my reconstruction of my faith. I got to this point where there was a lot of things that I had questions about that didn't make sense. And I was just supposed to be okay with not having answers, which I agree with. There's, there's, beauty in the mystery sometimes, but then there are things that don't make sense. And also if you go back and reread some things, you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if this is actually of God or of church culture. I think this might be part of culture that we've held on to. And if you go back and back into different versions, into different ways, things were written into what parts of the scriptures were actually picked to be in the Bible and what got left out. And even just the intentions of whoever was writing it and whoever was like emperor or king at the time and what they stood for and what they allowed to be written, like all these things, when you go back and back, you're like, wait a minute, I get it. There's always an agenda with stuff. And so basically I got to a place in my faith where I love God. I love Jesus. And there's certain things that I would unsubscribe to. And I was like, I don't think that's Jesus. I don't think, I don't think that's God. I think God is love period without conditions without, like we say, come as you are. But a lot of times in church, sometimes in church, when we say come as you are, we're saying come as you are. So I can make you what I want you to be. Mm -hmm. But really it's just come as you are. Cause I love you period. That's the end of the sentence. Yeah. And so I started to live my life there. And as I started to do that and open up, everyone becomes just human. No one is better than anyone. No one is darker than anyone. No one is more evil than anyone. We're all just human. And that's what it is. We all want to be loved by God and feel loved by people. Mm -hmm. So I feel like from the beginning of my career, when my video first popped off on YouTube, I've had a huge gay following. And I talk about this in my book. I've had a huge gay following. And it's not like there are certain comedians that have all the gay boys love them and certain comedians, all the lesbians love them. You go to my show, you're going to have all the gay boys. You're going to have all my lesties. Like they're all going to be there. And I remember processing it being like, that is so interesting that I have a huge gay following. And I felt because I was a representation of someone who loved God and someone who loved them and was saying, come sit at my table. And I was a louder voice saying, I know people have been saying, I hate you. You're not welcome here, but I'm going to be a loud voice on this microphone, telling jokes, making people laugh and saying, no, come sit with me. Don't listen to them. Come over here. So I feel like maybe that's why God gave me this gift of a huge gay following, because he was like, I need you to show my love. Please show my love to this community that gets so much hate, that gets so much discrimination, just be love. And so that's where I've been living is just be love. God, I'm first of all, so important. And I'm just, I'm so glad that I'm so glad to have you on this podcast too, because I know that my following is predominantly 
women and it's women and the gays and the gays is the gays and the lesbians. And I have a lot of women who for the comments, Angela, I'm like, girl, sometimes I can't even handle this, but I have, I have, I at least once a week, I get a fan who will leave a comment in good nature who says something along the lines of, Oh, I love you so much. The Lord tells me you're going to hell. And I'm so sorry about that. But like, I love you. And I'm always like, do I know others, girl? Because I'm like, this is, I'm not overly spiritual in this point in my life. But the Lord right now is throwing something at me to see how I will react. And you're not going to get it from me, Satan. Okay. Not today. Not no. It's not coming out of my mouth. But it is those moments too, where I mean, like I'm a little bit on a, on a spiritual journey, a religious journey, trying to figure out my own stuff too. And I just, I guess, thank you. It means a lot. I love that you're so vocal like that because a lot of people, I hope, can continue to hear that message and start to like reconstruct their journey for themselves too. That's that. There's a documentary. I haven't seen it yet, but somebody on our Patreon was telling us about it. My husband and I have a podcast called Nights at the Roundtable where we talk about deconstruction of our faith and reconstruction and stuff like that. And so we have a lot of people who are gay who have been felt abandoned by the church as soon as they came out or whatever it is. And so it's our podcast is we pray you find a seat at the table, but if you don't, you're always welcome to ours. Love. And so we talk about God, love, all the things and everybody welcome. And she was telling me about this documentary. I have to find out what it was, but it was the year that the word homosexuality in the Bible was changed to that from something else. And I haven't done my research to speak on it, but I'm very interested to look it up and see what exactly that was because there was like a, it was like not back in the 1500s, it was like 1946 or something like that. Yeah, it was like yesterday. Yeah, it was like when our grandparents were still in high school or whatever, and they changed the word or something like that. There's so much nuance. And why would you ever want to live on the side of hate and discrimination when you could just live in love. Which it takes a strong, it takes a strong, bold person to question everything you've ever known. Right, right, right. So it's like, so I'm sitting here saying to these people, like, are you strong enough? Can you do it? We need to find out. You go deep in your book. Yeah. You go really deep in your book. I, I loved picking through this. Angela Johnson's Who Do I Think I Am? Stories of Chola Wishes and Caviar Dreams. One thing that I didn't know about you. Ooh, you was a little bit of a bad girl when you were in <laughs> high school. You were, you were at the bad girl's <laughs> table. <laughs> when I showed up to school and actually went to a table, yes, let I was me, at the bad girl. Let one. me ask you this, Angela. Okay, two, tell me how right I am about this. Okay. When you walked into high school, were you Lomas thing with these thin ass eyebrows with the sweatpants that were rolled up, but then put down to be the high rise sweatpants with maybe a Adidas, not flip flop, but like strapped Adidas. Slide. It's called slides. Slides um, and two bangs. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> definitely the thin eyebrows. I definitely would do the two bangs with a slick back ponytail. 
I definitely rolled my sweats for sure. I was wearing a lot of Nike Cortez at the time. Yes. Yes. I was real hood. I tried. I tried to be. (laughs) Well, you talk about it in the book, too. You're like smoking cigarettes in the bathroom. What was your disdain for school? Or was it just you trying to find yourself? It was a lot of things. Teenage angst. Kids all the time. And they're all going through emotional things. They're going through things at home, period. And then they're also just still evolving and becoming a human. So their brain is still developing and still growing. Their hormones are still going through things like going through puberty. And then like you have a crush on a boy and you think you're going to die if you don't talk to them on the phone for seven hours. You actually feel like you're going to lose oxygen if you don't call this person back. And it's all these things and everything is intensified when you're a teenager. And so I feel like when I was in high school, I hated school because I was depressed. I was trying to figure out like, faith and God. Like even back then when I was a teenager, I had questions about God that I was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand, but I wanted to get it right. And that's what I think a lot of Christians and religious people are just trying to get it right. And in that trying to get it right, we make so many mistakes. And instead of trying to get it right now, I'm just trying to love. But as a teenager, I was trying to get it right, trying to figure out who I am. I wanted to be in the tough crowd, but I was going to church. So I was learning like, this is bad. I probably shouldn't be doing drugs anymore. I probably shouldn't be making out with boys anymore. I probably shouldn't be doing all these things anymore, but I like these things. And that's why I say in my book, I was like, some of the best, like some of the worst sins are the best ones because they're so fun. That's the predicament. I was, I was going to say, hard. Jesus didn't say nothing about making out with no boys. He did not. Oh, I I don't remember that part. But yeah, so it was high school was hard for me just emotionally. But I was a cheerleader and I was really good. And that was like the one thing that kind of kept me in it. Like I was a freshman on varsity cheerleading because I was really good. And it was things like that that would keep me in. Like when I could have gone down this path, like my best friend went down this path and she ended up going to prison and like living a whole different life, having a kid as a teenager and all that kind of stuff. And we were like besties. And then I went down this route and I became a cheerleader and I went that way. Like I could have easily gone one of these directions and I'm grateful that I chose the one I did. Were there any teachers that stand out? Yes. I have from elementary school, middle school, all the way on teachers that have made an impact on my life. I always talk about Miss Amora. I mentioned her in my book. She was the arts teacher at Lincoln High School. And I am not an artist. I don't know how to paint. I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to do none of that. But she, and she taught AP art, like all the best artists were in her class. (laughs) And she let me be her teacher's assistant. And she came over to you and she was like, clearly you're not an artist. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But anybody could wash paintbrushes. Come on in. That's what she said. So I was her TA and she got a kick out of me. She thought it was so funny And she thought it was so entertaining. And she would say things like, okay, go to Mr. Rourke's class and go, you know how in the middle of the art class, they would have that like podium where they'd put like a basket of fruit and everybody paints the basket of fruit. She's go jump on the podium. And I want you to start singing a song. So I would go into Mr. Rourke's class and I would jump on the podium. And all of a sudden I start belting out like, first I was afraid, I was petrified. (laughs) And just start singing to his class. And she just got a kick out of me. And so I would always hang out in her class with her. Like anytime I had free time, she was very chill. And I remember her writing in my yearbook, I'm going to see you on Saturday Night Live one day, stuff like that. And I was like, close, Mad TV, but almost. (laughs) Um, So close. 
close. But yeah, so she was definitely a teacher who I just remember not trying to shut down the class clownness, yeah, but kind of celebrating it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the type of stuff that I did too. And I was still teaching. It's always like the ones who have that thing, whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. when you as a teacher double down on it with them, they thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. We're going to be right back. I'm going to get into the emails with Angela Johnson on the Social Studies Podcast. Be right back. Okay, Miss Thing, if there's anything that I learned about from your show, it's that you have a love-hate relationship with ghosts? Yeah. Is it more love or more hate? Like, you like being scared, but you are scared? I I like hearing about other people being scared. Then this is going to be great. I knew this about you, so I reached out to the fans and I asked them for stories of really eerie things that their kids or their students, if they're a teacher, has said to them in the past that just sort of made their skin crawl. And and honestly, I did this two days ago and I had a really hard time sleeping a couple nights ago because some of these are actually weird. So are you ready? Yep. Okay. This keeps coming up over and over again. This overarching theme of kids telling their moms that they picked them as their mommy. My son and I were in a car accident when he was 2.5 years old. As soon as it was finished, he turned to me and said, thank you. That means two and a half. That does mean two and a half. Why did she write 2.5 years old? 2.5 years old. As soon as we got back home, he turned to me and said, I'm so glad that I picked you to be my mommy. You saved my life. I said, what do you mean you picked me to be your mommy? And he said, when I saw that bright light and all the mommies were there and then I picked you and then we were here. Ah, love this. Ooh, that could be chills. That one's like, that one's mild. Here we go. When my son was three or four, we were laying in bed looking at an empty space in the room and started laughing. I asked what he was laughing at and he said that, man, he's so funny. He doesn't have any teeth. And I said, what do you mean that, man? And he pointed right there, pointed at a spot and told me that he had a weird voice. And then he said, that's my granddaddy. My grandfather died when I was younger. I called him granddaddy. And he had the scariest, at the time to me, raspy voice and absolutely no teeth. And I had never talked about this to my son once. Whoa! Is that crazy? I love it. I love it. Kids are just kids. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. Because kids are innocent and they have imaginations. And so I feel like it's easier for maybe the spirit world to communicate with them because they'll believe it Yeah. because they'll participate. They won't be like scared and you know what I mean? But they're like, just see it. They just learned what a next door neighbor is because they're that young. <laughs> right. So how do they know that this thing is not a real thing? You know what I mean? So do you so believe I it? Feel like, yes, I fully believe that. And I also believe because kids are the closest to the other side because they just got here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were just on this other side and now they're here. I heard, I've heard stories of kids being reincarnated who believe that they're reincarnated. Oh my God. It's incredible. Some some of these are that. ah, I got to hear them. You got to send me, afford them all to me, please. Afford them. 
Oh, good. This one's just, I'll find a reincarnated one when we go on a tangent for this one. A few months ago, my three-year-old came into my room at 1 a.m., shook me awake urgently. He normally just climbs in and sleeps next to me. He said, Mommy, um, what's wrong, baby? There are two mommies in this house. The walking one just said, come with me. But I shunned her away with my sword because you're my real mommy. Then he promptly went back to sleep as I Googled exorcists near me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like there's definitely like how I said kids see things, but then also kids have imaginations too. Like they we do. can't get past that. Like right. and whatever they just saw in the cartoon, whatever, all of a sudden that's in their dreams. And then yes. he has a sword in his hand. Like I get it. My son was three and a half or 3.5 when this happened. We had my father-in-law and my husband's grandmother over for a visit. His grandpa had died when he was only two, so my father-in-law and grandma-in-law lived together. I go to tuck in my son for bed for the night, and about 10 minutes later, he starts yelling for us. We run down the hall and ask him what's wrong. He tells us his grandfather was in his room standing by the door. I said, no, nobody's here. Grandpa's in the living room. And he said, no, mom, his grandfather, pointing to his dad. The next day, we showed him a photo of my husband's deceased grandfather who died when my hubby was two. And he said, yep, that's him. Actually, we never give the kids the out. They have to describe it to you. Although I had an experience one time when I was younger and I don't remember how old I was, definitely before the two digits. And I was at my aunt's house and I'm playing Nintendo mm -hmm. and like original first Nintendo ever. And the TV is like way over there and you know, the cords are only like this far away. So you have to sit in a chair close to the TV. The couch is way back there, like where my table is now. And I remember sitting in a chair close to the TV and I'm playing the Nintendo and in the reflection of the TV screen, I can see a man sitting on the couch. No, Angela. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember telling my family about it and going through photos and seeing a picture of my grandpa and being like, yes, that's who I saw in the TV screen. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like yeah. it. I also think that kids have this like sixth sense of things that are going to go wrong. And true story, when I was about eight years old, I got into a roller coaster at a carnival and the harness came down and I said to my friends and I go, won't it be crazy when these come off? And we went around once, twice, came off. Explain that. I didn't die. Actually, I did flip around a few times like we were in a hamster ball. However, I did not die. First of all, the fact that you said that. It was some, it was like, what's that movie? What's Final Destination type shit? Was it like when, do you remember if when you said it, was it like you knew this was going to happen? Yes. Or were you like, why am I saying this? No, yeah, I remember being like, this is going to happen. There's a high probability of this happen. And it just like, whoop, went up. And I can still see my friend, hers went up too. And she was just flipping around inside this cage. The carnival ride didn't stop. It was like bizarre. Okay, mm -hmm. I got one more for us. This one's got a lot of traction, so hopefully it's good. 
when my son was younger, he used to be able to see ghosts or spirits entirely that the rest of us couldn't see, but he didn't realize that the rest of us couldn't see. Also, he used to tell me about how he died. He told me that he was in a horse-drawn buggy and it went off on the side of a bridge and he drowned. And then he would say, remember mom back when I was a parent and you were the child? Talk about freaky. All of these things stopped abruptly when he turned six. Reincarnation. Those stories are incredible. There's a documentary again on Netflix and I forget what it's called, but they talk to people who have had near-death experiences. They talk to like psychic mediums and it's different episodes, but it's all about like death. I think it's called life after death maybe. And one of them, they talk to kids who believe they've been reincarnated and some adults who believe they've been reincarnated. And there is this one kid who he would tell his mom certain things and she'd be like, what? Like, none of this makes sense. And she started like writing down all the things he was saying. And then she started researching it and finding out he's, he was saying like when he died, he's talking about, remember when I died and she's looking up like how he died, what he's saying, where it was everything. And he finds that there's a little kid who died in New York and they don't live in New York, but in New York, there's this little kid who died. and pretty much describes what her son has been describing. So then she sends it to this professor who studies kids who have been reincarnated. He comes over to interview the child and the mother and looks up the story as well. He prints out pictures, one of a park that is right by the apartment building where that kid who died used to live and just some random park. And he shows them both the pictures. And he's like, do you recognize either of these? And he's like, yeah, that's the park by my house. What? a picture of two different women, random women. He's never met before. Do you recognize any of these? Yeah. That one was my mom points out the woman who's the mom of the child who died. Angela. I'm going to go watch that. There was one in here. I couldn't find it, but there was one where someone's son was saying she was, he was telling his mom in great deal, two years old that he was, Remember when I was a teenager in Chicago and got hit by that bus? And they're like, we don't live anywhere near Chicago. What is this kid talking about? Yeah. I do believe this stuff. Okay, so last thing, last thing, last thing. So we're buying a house right now, or hopefully. We went and saw this house. And we have a whole thing where when we're going through a house where we like shut up about our feelings and we talk about it later. So like nobody knows. So while we were walking through the house, I was like, something's off and I went three steps up to the second floor and I was like oh I feel so weird and I turned to Morgan when we were like back together in the kitchen and I was like I got bad vibes in here and he went like this he was like and I thought he was looking at me shut up we don't talk about what we feel like when we're in the house And then the next day we went out to dinner and I asked him and I was like, why did you do that? And he's like, because I felt it too. Angela, he told me this after we put the offer in and we're, we're waiting still. (laughs) We might actually. Wait a minute, you put an offer in on a house that you only went up to step three? You didn't even. No, I waited. I I waited for him to come back before I wasn't going to go up on my own 
You put in an offer on a house that you were like, ooh, this is creepy in here. I sure did. I sure did. My dad works at a church. So my whole thing is if I still get those vibes when we live there, I'm just going to have him get the priest on and I'm going to put the priest on Zoom on my computer. I'm going to walk around each room and be like, okay, say those special (laughs) words. I got the frankincense and the myrrh. It's swinging in the background, babe. Got it. Water and just like, I got you. I got you. This is straight from the Puget Sound. Hello, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Angela Johnson, thanks for coming on the podcast. Tell people more of what you got coming up. Where can they find you? Where can they come see you? Okay, so I'm currently on tour right now. The Who Do I Think I Am tour, which is also my book tour. Who Do I Think I Am? Stories of Chola Wishes and Caviar Dreams. You can get tickets on my website, Angela.com, A-N-J-E-L-A-H.com. You can get tickets there. You can buy my book there. Let's see. You can follow me on Instagram, all the social medias at Angela Johnson. I am wearing my own merch today, not because I'm just super proud of my merch, which I am, but also because it's laundry day and I didn't really have a choice, but this is my Los Angeles shirt and you can get that on my website as well. And yeah, thank you for having me. I think I'm going to snag up a Los Angeles shirt. You guys did read the book. It's fantastic. You can also get it audio style if you'd rather listen and it's uh, fantastic. I loved it peaks and valleys funny and deep inspirational and hilarious go ahead and pick it up me too thank you